Well, we've been on this series for a very long time, and this is kind of the last sort of overlapping message from the old series to a, a new. Uh, it's all exciting. I'm very excited for this church that you're going to have a brand new pastor soon. I trust and pray and believe you get the vote, and I trust God's will is it all. The board have done a great work and search committee, and we're just trusting God's will gets done for all of us next, next week. Uh, I, just, I just want to kind of tie that in with a, with a new thought and a new direction a little bit today. But if we're really going to listen, learn, and live for the Father, this message is still part of that and still really, really matters. Uh, let me ask you some questions. Anybody here ever work too hard? <laughs> Anybody here with young children? <laughs> They're the only ones who sleep, it seems, at night, anyway. Yeah, anybody here with a few aches or pains? I visited my friend, 97 years old. I so love her heart and spirit, but she's got a few aches and pains. Her daughter, who's 77, has more aches and pains than she does. There was a kind of a cute story. We visited her a couple of weeks ago in Montreal, and, and her daughter actually took her into the bathroom in the morning and helps her because she doesn't walk really well at 97 and forgot her there for about an hour and a half. <laughs> and all of a sudden realized, oh, my mother's still in the washroom. I better go rescue her. Even then, she didn't complain. Sometimes I feel like this person. Uh, anybody, anybody here struggle with insomnia at all? You just aren't sure? <laughs> you need coffee, but you can't find the cup. <laughs> Am I the only one who's ever had any stress? Just thought I'd ask. Anybody, anybody here who just is, the battery's low? That ever happened to you? I, I actually believe that... <laughs> That this is a true statement for many of us. I need a rest, a long, 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 long rest. I was just off for two weeks, and I, I uh, hear he had great services when I was gone. I'm so glad. And, and I was planning to have a long, long rest. I ended up working about seven or eight of the days that I was off. I'm not quite sure how that happened, but it sort of did. Uh, anyway, uh, am, I the, am I the only one this matters to? Hmm. I believe in all of our hearts there's what I call a longing for rest. I got thinking about that. So here are some issues, I think. The traveler longs for the rest of home. The weary long for the rest of sleep. The troubled long for the rest of peace. The pained long for the rest of relief. The bereaved long for the rest of memory. The uncertain long for the rest of direction. The poor long for the rest of sufficiency. The wronged long for the rest of justice. The skeptic longs for the rest of simple faith. The lonely long for the rest of companionship. The frail long for the rest of strength. The dying long for the rest of eternity. The tempted long for the rest of release. The overworked long for the rest of leisure. The ill long for the rest of health, and the stressed long for the rest of ease. It appears that weariness and longing for rest is part of all of our lives in one measure of another. And so I thought that would be a good thing to talk about, and today I want to talk to you about God's view of rest. God has a view of rest. Very interesting. And it comes out of a text in Hebrews that talks about the superiority of Jesus to Moses, of Christianity to the law, the Old Testament, Judaism, and of salvation to the promised land. 
Because in the New Testament, clearly as much as I love the truth of the Old Testament, folks, you need to understand, Jesus is better than the law, Jesus is better than, the Mo than Moses, and heaven is better than the promised land. You got that, right? Okay. Here's the text. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fail by following Israel's example of disobedience. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of it, the power of it, the wonder of it. And God, we pray that you would speak to our hearts today from it. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're talking about the rest the rest of God. It says, for anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work just as God did from his. And the illustration that's used is God in creation. God created the world and on the seventh day rested. This is God's rest. Now, you know, if you're like me, is creation not an amazing thing? There was a, a few weeks ago, you could, see the, you could see the northern lights somewhere up where I live in the north, and we went for a drive. It was a bit too cloudy. We never did see them, but they're magnificent. And, and don't you love spring? I mean, spring is amazing. The water is running, and the trees start to bud, and they break into green. And as we were driving to church today, on all the softwood trees only, there's a haze of green already covering the panorama of the, of the sky. Have you noticed that? It's, it's amazing. I love creation. I, 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 don't, you, don't you love little baby animals? Well, maybe not baby turkeys. I have a lot of them in my property, but they're kind of homely. But, but most babies are, and baby, you know, we have baby people. Are, are they not the most exciting thing in the world? I was at graduation for, the, for yesterday, and there was this little baby, must have been about two months old. I had to confess to you, I had to go meet the parents, because of all the other people that were there, they seemed like the most important people to me, because they were holding a baby. Creation is, is absolutely amazing. And I don't know why my mind is drawn to this. This probably goes back to grade 8 science or grade 9 science. But whenever I think of the creation of God, my mind is drawn to one of the great miracles of which we are unaware of most of the time. It's called God in creation. It's called the solar system. Now, there are nine planets, sort of. <laughs> Mercury, Venus, Earth, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto. And the reason why I say nine planets, sort of, is because Pluto gets kicked out every once in a while and put back in every once in a while. They're not really sure if Pluto's a planet or not, but they think it is. And so for argument's sake, I'm going to leave them all in. I'm just going to pretend that there are nine of them. Is that okay with you? Mer Mercury is the one closest to the sun. Mercury, Venus, Earth, we're third from the sun. Yeah, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, and, and Pluto. So this is, I just find this absolutely phenomenal, these nine planets. And they belong to what's called the Milky Way galaxy. And the Milky Way galaxy is like this huge circle of stars and planets. And the sun is in the middle of it. And the, the, the planets are like spokes that reach out to the outer stars. So when you look up with the naked eye on a beautiful, cool night and a beautiful night in the spring, and you see all those stars, and it's just like there's millions of them. That's right, there are. And that's all part of the Milky Way galaxy. With the naked eye, you can't really see beyond the Milky Way galaxy. It's absolutely amazing, phenomenal the Milky Way galaxy. So I've asked Bobby to come and play part of this with me. I'm going to ask Bobby to pretend that he is the sun, the S-U-N, not the S-O-N, and he brought me a globe. So you can just stand there if that's okay. So we have a thing, uh, this is planet Earth, right? We're the third from the sun, right? 
And I don't know if you notice this or not, but it's on a bit of a slant. And the earth actually goes like this. When I was in Sarnia, I don't know what happened, but the sun went this way. The sun got up in the west and set in the east for five years. I was so glad to leave Sarnia. I had no idea which direction I was going most of the time. But the sun actually gets, well, it doesn't really, the sun doesn't actually move, to be honest with you. We move, right? And so when you have this side of the world and the sun is here, we're in night, right? And we turn it around and it's facing the sun, we now have day. This is actually called rotation. Did you know that? Do you want to say it with me? Rotation. Perfect. How long does it take to rotate? 24 hours. Well, I wish that was true. It's really not really true. It actually does this. It's, listen, here's the reality. It actually takes 23 hours, 56 minutes, and 4.09053 seconds. How many of you drove more than five minutes to church today? I guarantee you, you can't do that every Sunday to the hundredth of a second. And every day, every day, this thing turns. 23 hours, 56 minutes, 4.09053 seconds. Somebody should say, wow. More than that. It travels 40,000 all the way around and 75 kilometers at 460 meters per second or 27.6 kilometers a minute. You thought it was going like, thank you. You thought it was going like this. It's going like this. Everybody ever feel dizzy and want to get off? That's probably why. Well, not only does it do that, but all the time it's doing that, it actually also has a thing called rotation, where it actually goes around the sun. It goes around the sun. Now, again, remember it's on, a, it's on a slant, right? So as it goes around the sun, when the slant is aiming towards the sun, we are in summer. And when you get the other side, and the, or facing away from the sun, we get our... And of course, the equator is so close enough to the sun most of the time that it gets sun all the time. But we get sea... I love the seasons. I don't know if you do or not. How long does it take for us to go around the sun? 365 and? And a quarter days, right? Because that's why every four years we have a leap year. We add a day to make up for the time. By the way, all the clocks and calendars are all adjusted to fit this. Well, it's not really true. It's not really 365.25 days. It's actually 365 days, 6 hours, 9 minutes, and 9.5 seconds. Every year accurate to the hundredth of a second. If it wasn't true, no calendar would work and no clock would work. Are you ready? Somebody should say, like, wow. <laughs> Just in passing, it travels around the sun for old people like me, 595 million miles, accurate to the hundredth of a second. And for those of you that are young, it is 957, 559, 680 kilometers. 
traveling, you ready? At 30 seconds a kilometer. 30 kilometers a second, I got it right. 1,770 kilometers per minute. 109,218 kilometers an hour. Don't tell me God's creation isn't great. By the way, all the time is doing that. The whole Milky Way is going round. You only live long enough to see it once in your lifetime. It takes 22 million years. And it takes, it travels at 220 kilometers per second. By the way, just in passing, we now believe there's more than 50 plus galaxies as big or bigger than the Milky Way galaxy. You didn't know you were coming to a science class today, did you? Don't, guys, this boggles the mind. Don't tell me there isn't a God. This talks about God in creation. This creation is amazing. It's unbelievable. It's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. And the Bible says on the seventh day God rested. But, listen, while God is resting, he works. God's rest is different from doing nothing. It's not finishing and sitting around just sitting on his laurels. It's not that at all. While God rests, he actually works. He does not cease from activity. The Bible declares he rested on the seventh day, but it declares that God continues to work in his creation. The Bible says he guides his world, he guides his creation, he provides for it, he holds the future of it in his hands. He is no watchmaker God that made it and walked away and left it on its own. He is intricately involved. The word for rest here in the Greek, the Greek word implies continued activity. The Bible tells us all kinds of stories of God interacting with what he has made. This is the God who in his rest walked in a garden, divided the Red Sea, saved a city, healed a son, provided unending oil and meal in a famine, saved a baby on the Nile, delivered his children, healed a leper, manifested himself in a cloud of fire, and gave his word to his people. This is the God who was resting, calls a persecutor, frees a jailer, raises a friend from the dead, builds his church, and sent his son to be the savior of the world. Well, God rested. He works. See, God's plan is not stopping God's plan is finishing what he started. God's plan is that will finish in the creation that he started. And I'm so glad that he's still active to guard his creation and guide it. The world Bible uses words like the goodness of God. We sang them this morning. The goodness of God is the activity of God in his world still active. The benevolence of God talks about this goodness of God, the love of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God still active in his world. Aren't you glad he has not abandoned us to our own devices? Aren't you glad he's still our God and he's still bigger than us? He's got a plan for his creation. Hebrews goes on and uses another illustration. Uses an illustration not about God and creation, but it actually uses the illustration about Jesus Christ, who like the Father worked and then rested. Now we know what the work was. Jesus at work gave his life. He provided redemption. He hung on a cross. He took your sins and he took mine. And he paid the penalty so we could be set free. But Jesus at work 
while he provided redemption, comes to us with this incredible story of you and I who were sinners and lost could be found and saved. It's amazing. I was reading Hebrews, and I got looking at some of the things that Jesus did, and it was so amazing to me, I actually went back through the Gospels and began to read some of the things that Jesus did and the impact on us. It's a long list. I hope you'll let me read it to you today. It just blows my mind. He was crucified and died that we might live. He was made to suffer so we might know deliverance. He was punished that we might be set free. He suffered loss that we might gain. He was wounded so we might have health. He was bruised so we might be healed. He was weak so we might have his strength. He became lower than the angels so we might be exalted on high. He was made a curse so we might be blessed. He was broken so we might be made whole. He was stripped and laid bare so we might be clothed in his righteousness. He was emptied so we might know his fullness. He became poor so we might share in his riches. He was rejected so we might be accepted in him. He thirsted so we might never thirst again. He was judged so we could be forgiven. He paid the price for our sins so that we could freely receive his grace. He came to the earth so we could go to the heavenly. He became flesh so we could become spiritual. He became like us so we could become like him. He became the son of man so that ordinary sinful people might become the sons and the daughters of God. Wow. Would you say it with me? Wow. And on finishing, he rested. Tetelestai, it is finished. The plan of God is complete. No more work needs to be done. It is absolutely, completely, totally finished. Never needs to be done again. Nothing needs to be added. Nothing can be taken away. It is finished. It is completed. God's plan of redemption is completely finished, totally done. But... While it is finished, he still works. He still saves people today. Think about it now. If that wasn't true, you wouldn't be saved. You wouldn't be a son and daughter because it would have ended when he died and rose again. The finish would have only been for the people at that moment. He's still in the business of redemption. He's still saving people to this day. I've had the privilege of traveling and meeting a lot of people. And, and folks, listen, I want you to understand that everybody who comes to God around the world comes in exactly the same way. They admit that they're a sinner. They admit they can't do anything about it. They admit that Jesus is God's son and God sent him to die in their place and that God poured out the iniquity of our sin on him so that we could be free. We accept God through Christ, and in accepting Christ, we become the sons and daughters of God, and God promises eternal life starting now. Wow. God still does that. God still does that. I've met people and been in services that I don't understand a word. They're speaking Thai or Chai Thai in Thailand, speaking Vietnamese in Vietnam, speaking Swahili in parts of Africa. And I sit in a service and I don't have a clue what's being said. But the presence of God fills the room. And I am with brothers and sisters. And we're going to spend eternity together because our God still saves. 
Can I say to you that I'm, I'm counting on that? I, I, I'm count, he's active to save. I, I'm, I'm counting on the God who saves in the whole world. I, I'm counting on that in my own life. I, I have family members that don't know Jesus yet. Some of them are completely ignorant of the gospel altogether. Some of them know about him, but they don't know him. Am, am I the only one? I'm counting this to be true in my life. So when I pray for them, when I, when I talk to God about them, I'm believing God that the God who's still active will step into their lives and reveal himself to them so that they can come to faith and have life in his name. I'm so glad that he's still in the middle of it being finished. He didn't stop. In the middle of it being completed, he didn't come to rest he kept working. I have a friend of mine who loves Ukraine, passionate about Ukraine, just got home from Ukraine. They made sure when she got there that she was safe. But she visited pastors and churches, and you know, this is the story of Ukraine, it's amazing. I know there's a war going on, it's a terrible war, it's awful. But in the middle of that war, God is pouring out his spirit. And a pastor like 35 people now is 900 in his church. And that story is told over and over and over again. And all of those people are coming exactly the same way as you and I did. We confessed we needed God. And through his son we found him. Because he was looking for us all the time. And in some ways he found us before we found him. Now it doesn't talk about the Holy Spirit at all in this text. It doesn't. But we know from other scriptures that the Holy Spirit is part of all of this. And the Holy Spirit works, and the Holy Spirit draws, and the Holy Spirit convinces, and the Holy Spirit convicts. And God wants us, through the Spirit of God, to come to the same kind of rest that He has. God wants us to understand His rest. The Spirit comes to draw us. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Now the word Sabbath just means a day. It just, it's not talking about, not talking about any specific, it's not Saturday or Sunday, it's not, that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about the fact that there's a proclamation from God that there's a rest for us. But it's the same word. God wants us to have the same kind of rest that he had. Rest is God's provision. The Bible talks in Hebrews and other places about the other kind of rest, about the rest we talked about when we started this message, about the rest for people that are worn out, the people that are tired, the people that are broken, the people that are wounded. And I love what Matthew says. Matthew says, come to me and I will give you rest, the words of God. It's an important aspect of rest, but that's not what's being focused on in Hebrews. God has a plan for you. And rest is God's plan is the same as his. It's not about stopping. It's not about being done. It's not about doing nothing. It's about finishing. It's about completion. And God has a plan for each one of your life. Every one of you. God has a plan. He wants you to complete the plan. He wants you to finish the plan. And hear my heart. There is no, res there is no retirement plan in God's kingdom. That's why you're stuck with an old guy as your interim. Because I just don't know what retirement means, and I don't think there is one. People say to me all the time, when are you going to really retire? I said, I don't know. When I figure I've done 12 of these, I'll write a book on how to retire. I don't know how to retire. I, I don't think there is one. 
Someone asked me the other day, said, what are you going to, I said, I don't know. I woke up today and I knew who I was and where I was. I decided I might as well work for God. This kind of retirement, this kind of rest looks a bit like this. It is living, but is at peace in the midst of the living. It's rest in, in our labors, not from them. It's trust in the storms, not the absence of storms. It is peace in the trials, not the absence of trials. It is comfort in the disappointments, not the absence of disappointments. It is courage in the moments of fear, not life without fear. It is hope in the times of despair. It is freedom or forgiveness from sin and the release that comes with that. It is labor and love at exactly the same time. It is commitment and service regardless of the circumstances. It is generosity and action with a sense of call and surrender and joy in giving who we are to God. Do you know the saddest part about poverty? The saddest part about poverty is not having enough. That's not the saddest part. The saddest part of poverty is not being able to be generous. And that's God's plan for us. The saddest part for a believer's life is to sit around waiting for him to come and call us home. God has a plan. He's a plan for you. He wants you in resting in him and finding peace in him and knowing him and loving him and being loved by him. He wants us to be busy doing something for the kingdom. And when we all do something, big things get done. You say, what can I do? Write a letter, make a phone call, pray for somebody, encourage somebody, build somebody up. Find those 80 kids in kids' church last week and pray for two or three of them. Pray for your neighbor. And hundreds and hundreds of other examples. And so, so God says to us, to his followers, I, wa I want you to be busy in the kingdom. I hesitated. I didn't know what illustration to use for this, and I thought I would take and talk to you about my mom. That was my mom at 88, I think it was. She went gray young and wrinkly young, but um, she was, had grade 8 education, and at 60, she decided to go back to school and get her high school equivalency. So she did. She graduated from high school about 62. And she had to take a course in English, and in the course in English, they had to write a piece of poetry. So she wrote a piece of poetry and loved it. So she started writing poetry from that moment on. Everything and everywhere she wrote poetry. Now, can I be honest with you? Most of it wasn't very good. You know, and because she was a Christian, she always, no matter what she wrote about, like she would write about Jack Frost and the frost and the window, and at the very end, she would kind of say, repent or perish. <laughs> you know, because she always had to get the God part in. One of my favorite stories of my mom, which is not related to this, is my mom was a terrible driver. I never let my kids drive with her ever, ever, ever. And because she was 4'11", and she looked under the top of the steering wheel, and she, you know, power steering goes like this. She worked it all the way around and all the way back, and I'm driving with her, watching her drive, and I think, now I know why I never let my kids get in the car with her. I'd like to sit in the back seat. I might be safer. Because she was a Christian, she never passed a hitchhiker, like never. It took her 200 yards to stop. 
they'd have to run to catch up and get in the car and they get in and she's going around like this to get her back on the road and she's steering underneath and she wants to share faith with the hitchhiker and she always started the same way. She's only been in the car with him five or ten minutes and she would go like this because she's so afraid of not seeing the road and she would start the same way. Are you ready to die? And, and they all knew that this could be the moment because they're driving with her. I'm pretty convinced she scared more people into the kingdom than I ever won. <laughs> Robert Frost, my favorite poet, said, if you write enough, you'll eventually write something good. So she wrote something she thought was pretty good, and it was pretty good. And she heard on the TV or internet or somewhere that if you could send it in to this anthology of verse, you had to pay them $140. That was my gift to her, just in passing. Then you got, if it was good enough, you got published. <laughs> if it was good enough. Folks, the book came back this thick. It cost $140 for the book. That was the part that I paid. And, uh, and every piece of poetry that was, I mean, I read some of them, folks. They were really bad. Some, some of them were pretty good. Most of them were really bad. Anyway, she got encouraged by this. So she decided writing more poetry. And eventually she had a couple of hundred of them. So she put them in a book and self-published a book. And she took 200 of them that she had published, and she took 20 of them to 10 friends and said, these are $10 each, sell them. And they did. So she printed 200 more. And then they took them to 10 other friends. She had lots of friends. She lived in a senior's home, I guess, by that time. I don't know. Anyway, at the end of the day, she sold over 1,000 copies. Like, really, she got on national television, CBC, well, not CBC. She got on national television. She got invited to speak and write poetry for government. She lived in Ottawa for government things and funerals and weddings. And, and all of it, no matter where she started, she ended with Jesus. Amazing. So, and then, which, that was at age 80, by the way. At 82, she published another set. Of, that's a lot of poems in there, folks. And at 84, she thought tired of writing poetry. She wrote a few pieces of poetry, some verses, some, some uh, stories, and her favorite recipes. Coconut cream pie is in here for those of you who were here a few weeks ago. See? I got three of these. And they're all for sale in the foyer at the end of the service. No, 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 they're not. No, no, they're not. Those are the last copies, I think. And when she died at 90, she was writing a book on common prayers that she'd prayed. Can I tell you the word finish wasn't in her vocabulary? The word completion was in her vocabulary. And I pray that I go out like she goes out. She went out loving God. She went out busy in the kingdom. She went out serving. God has a plan for you and I. Completion is not sitting around doing nothing. Completion is doing something for the kingdom. I want to be my, like my God. I want to be like my mom a little, to be honest with you. And that's not only true of you, it's true of our church. We've been growing lately. Have you noticed that? Kathleen had, what, 24 or 25 new people last Sunday. In January, February, with another 25 new people. We're so glad you're here if you're new. We're so glad you're here if you're not new. 
We're so glad you're here because God has a plan for this church. God doesn't want you to sit in your laurels. He's not worried about your past. He's worried about you. He's not even worried. God doesn't worry. God has a plan for your future. God has a plan for this church. You have days ahead of you that can be greater than they've ever been. You've got days ahead of you where if you do the work of God, you line up and say, God, here am I. Here are we as a church. We want to be faithful. We want to be used. God will take us at our word, and this church will do great things for God. Because his plan is not rest. Thank you. His plan is not rest. It's completion. If God was finished with you, he'd let you shut down and I'll go to heaven. No, he's got a plan for you. And I love this. You got a new pastor crustfully coming soon. I'm not determining God's will at all. All I can say to you is whoever your new pastor is, God's stirring their hearts with dreams and visions that you can do together. Because the plan of God is bigger than any of us and bigger than all of us. And together we can see God do great things. Man, I, I believe that my whole life. I believe that in every church I've ever been in. I believe that coming here to be your interim. I just believe if we believe God, he might actually just do what he says he's going to do, and he might actually be who he says he's going to be among us. Do you believe that? Get ready. Get ready. Huh. God wants you to find your rest in him. God wants you to find your rest in him. That's very interesting. It says, therefore, make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fail. No one will, by, no typo, sorry, will fail by, let me see how you see them here and never before, by their example of, it talks about Israel. It's interesting that, that the Bible says that we labor to enter that rest. And I find that so interesting because the word labor and rest shouldn't go together, but that does in this case. And Israel was the example of how not to do it. Because here's, here's what happened with them. They didn't believe that they were called. They didn't believe they were the people of God. They lived in disobedience. May that never be said of us. May it be said of Calvary Pentecostal Church that we stood up and said, God, here are we. We're ready to be used by you. May that be said of us. May that be said of this church. As long as you are here. And that brings hope. I love hope, don't you? I'm not sure why this illustration means something to me, but it does, and so please forgive me if it doesn't mean anything to you. Charles Schultz. Anybody know Charles Schultz? Charles Schultz was famous for writing cartoons called Peanuts. These are our peanut friends here. I don't know if you know this or not, but Charles Schultz was a humble, simple Christian man. I, I love his cartoons. This is my very favorite Charles Schultz cartoon. My grandfather loves to sing hymns. He can remember the words to over 100 hymns. Does he sing in the church, in the choir? No, he can't remember where the church is. <laughs> Charles Schultz in 1999 discovered that he had cancer. And Charles Schultz died on February the 13th, 2000. Do you know what I love about that? I don't love the fact that he died. I love the fact he went to heaven. But what I love about that 
is after 50 years of writing about our friends, the Peanuts characters, the day that he died was the day that his last original Peanut cartoon was published. And God said, it's over now. Welcome home. I, I, I'd like to go like that, wouldn't you? I'd like to just work until God says, it's over now, welcome home. And we go home. A friend of mine's mom lives in Australia and he called her, she was at prayer meeting. She was talking about the presence of God in the prayer meeting. And she went home and fell asleep and woke up in Jesus' arms. I'd like to go like that. I know we don't all get to go determine how we go, but right to the end, somehow I think God's still working completion in our lives. And he went to his reward, and so will we. Well, there is an eternal rest for the child of God. That's what makes all of this meaningful. And God wants to spend eternity with you, with me. And while I often say that we're going to spend eternity together, I have a sneaking suspicion that when we get there, you might not mean that much to me. And I might not mean that much to you, but Jesus will mean everything. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So today, when we get to be there, it'll be a celebration of his finished work in us and our finished work on his behalf. That's God's view of rest. So today, well, let me skip, I'm going to read the text again. What kind of rest do you need today? What kind of rest do you need today? Do you need the kind of rest that's freedom from pain and suffering and sickness and family issues and work issues? Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment? If you're here today and you're under stress, if you're under your, just, you're just worn out, you're tired, you're exhausted, if you're here and you're just, you're, your life is a bit chaotic at the moment, family issues, work issues, health issues, would you just lift your hand for a moment? You may put them down. So God, as our heads are bowed, as our eyes are closed, we pray today, God, that the God who gives all rest will come and give that kind of rest to these friends. You are chasing after them. As they lift their hands and hearts to you, we've already in a way prayed for them already today. But God, as they lift hearts and hands to you, would you touch their lives? Would you bring healing where it's needed? Would you change circumstances? Would you bring glory through them in those places where now there's none of you, it appears? God, would you give the kind of rest that sets us free for every hand that was raised and for those who didn't raise a hand but should have? Amen. You look at me again. God has released in freedom for all of you who raised your hand. Um, God is able to do that for you. What kind of rest do you need today? Completion. Have you, have you been resting on the work of others? <laughs> have you been enjoying the fruit of others' work? Have, have you sort of said, God, I'm ready to, for heaven and I'm just going to kind of float along till I get there? Regardless of how young you are or how old you are, 
God actually wants to do something through you. And it's different for all of us. I can't even tell you what it is. I just know if you ask him, he will show you. Because it's how the kingdom gets built. It's how the church grows. It's how his body gets stronger. And can I say to you that um, God is waiting to do that for you. And for all of us who understand that life is terminal and there is an eternal rest that's promised to us, God is waiting just for us to give us that kind of rest. Wow. Wow. Am I the only one? Wow. Wow. Let's pray. The band can come. God, we're overwhelmed by your creation. But the truth is, you say it in the book of Hebrews, that the creator is greater than creation. The savior is greater than salvation. And God, we're, we're overwhelmed today by all that you are and all that you do. And somehow you do come to us when we're hurting and bring us the kind of rest and freedom we need. But for every one of us, you come and say, I have a plan for your life. I have a purpose for your life. I want to do something in you. I want to do something for you. I want to do something through you. And today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you mean this, God, I want to put my life at your, in your hands. I surrender my life to you. Would you raise your hand? God, I surrender my life to do. Do whatever you want through me. Do whatever you want through me, God. I'm here, I'm available, I'm yours. Let me see your hands across this place. God, change your church, I pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.